Welcome to Not Alone, a podcast about faith and well-being. We're so glad you're listening. Today, we are kicking off season three of our podcast, and we have a whole slate of conversations we are excited to get to. If you're new to the show, you might be asking yourself, should I stop this episode and go back to episode one and work my way up, or should I listen to this episode and work my way backwards? For some of us, that's kind of a stressful decision to make, which conveniently leads into the topic of this week's episode, decisions. What do we do when life gives us options? To talk about that, here are Michael McCord, Lindsay Geist, and Evan DeYoung. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to season three of the Not Alone podcast. That's my movie announcer voice. That's like as good as it gets. I'm getting some really weird looks from Lindsay and Mike. <laughs> so good. Got, it took a dark turn. Oh, man. Yeah. In a world. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Justin. Here we go. I'm actually doing it now. <clears throat> Hello, everyone, and welcome to season three of the Not Alone podcast, the podcast that explores faith, well-being, and uh, just how long three people can stay in a global pandemic. Uh, and we are <laughs> we're really, really excited to be back here for season three, our little life raft that is our time together with each other and with you. I am back with Lindsay and Michael. I'm Evan DeYoung. I'll let Michael and Lindsay introduce themselves for some of our first time listeners, potentially. Michael, Lindsay, who's going first? Hey guys, it's good to be with all of you again for season three. This is Michael McCord and um, I spend most of my life working with college students and those who help college students and uh, have a have a love for and respect of, of mental health in our culture and opportunities to talk about it. And as you have probably heard and will hear, I really think that the key to, to living a healthier life is being more open and vulnerable with each other. And in that, in that, in that place, we can find healing and, and disrupt the secrets that, that keep us from living more full lives. So glad to be with you and continue this conversation and look at, uh, you know, I don't know what year this is of pandemic. It's, it's season three for us. I feel like it's season 14 of the pandemic. Um, but here we are, friends. Oh, yeah. Hey, everybody. It's Lindsay Geist uh, back again. And I am a therapist and a pastor. And so spend a lot of my time working with churches and individuals to talk about mental health and how to navigate life and how our faith fits into all of that together, be it through individual counseling or be it through educational workshops or uh, small group conversations. So I'm glad to continue to be with these two guys and laugh and explore and learn together. Absolutely. And I'm Evan DeYoung, and I was in the room at the party where Michael and Lindsay talked about doing a podcast together, and uh, they felt guilty, so they included me the whole time. And I'm still here. <laughs> Just kidding. I get to work with these two wonderful people here in the beautiful state of Georgia, and we are so excited to be back for season three. Michael, I want to just uh, unpack something that you said, because I'm, I'm curious here. You said... Uh, you want to disrupt the secrets that help us live more full lives or something like that, right? Is well, that you? Did you come up? I this, did. I, did you I just, come up with that or is that somebody else's? Or did you just synthesize everything that you're about in your intro? Listen, I, I'm not quite sure that I have an original thought. 
So I should just, you know, if I could just footnote everything I say with, I'm not quite sure who said this, but it probably wasn't I learned me. it somewhere. <laughs> and then right. absorbed it well. That's right. No, I, I, I just, I think so much, I, I've, we've said this a lot here, that it's not, it's not the thing that we do that, that really uh, messes with us. It's the secrets uh, about mm-hmm. the things that we do that really destroy us. And, and so if we can disrupt the secrets, if we can get those out and become more transparent and open, we have the real opportunity to experience healing and, you know, fullness in our lives. And I, th- I think that goes, that goes as an individual level, as family level, uh, as community level, church level, that, that we just all have layers of secrets that, that we hold back from each other. And that creates a society that just doesn't trust each other and doesn't trust itself. And that's a wrap for this episode. If everybody just listens to Michael say that over and over again and applies it to different areas of their life, I think that we've really landed on a great episode. So I Googled it, Michael, here, and um, I there's an article in The Atlantic called The, the Secret Shame of Middle-Class Americans, which has some shame theory stuff that you're referencing there. But I think that that way of saying it and explaining it that might be an amalgamation of a lot of work that you really respect, but Michael, I think you really pulled it together there. Thank you. I, I appreciate the acknowledgement that I came up with a potentially near Potentially a profound thought. sentence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it spoke to me. Okay. Honestly, I surprised myself when I said it, but, uh, you know, I think it's a good way. Disrupt the secrets. Uh, That's keep why us from living a fulfilling life. You got. That's why I love our casual format. So for those of you who are joining us, uh, season three for the first time, you don't have to listen to any of our episodes in order. And uh, we we try and have some structure, but we also want to leave a lot of room for fun and casual conversation. And we want this to to feel like just a conversation among friends that uh, has some uh, underpinnings in reality. Um, mainly Lindsay and her. <laughs> clinical experience kind of anchors us uh, but we're excited to jump in uh, season three is going to open up with uh, some episodes on decision making we've got some great topics that we're going to cover uh, this season uh, but we want to talk a little bit about how we make decisions why we make decisions where we get paralyzed in the decision making process uh, because i don't know about you michael and i were talking about this the other day Lindsay, uh, about how we just Sometimes at the end of the day, you make so many decisions that we'll be sitting there and, you know, mealtime comes around for dinner. It's like, what do you want for dinner? What I want for dinner is to not make any decisions anymore. Mm -hmm. I I only have so much capacity some days to make decisions. And I don't really know what it is about decision making that some days I'm really into it. And then some days I'm just so exhausted by it. Or I, I was just having a conversation. I should say not or. And this is the word I like to say, <laughs> and because that is all true. And I was having a conversation with uh, some some parents the other day. I actually got drafted into coaching softball and soccer. Uh, In your free the, time? Yeah, for the first time. Uh, so, you know, basically I told Emily, uh, my wife, I was like, I'm just going to be the best Ted Lasso I can be, which is <laughs> I don't know anything about the sport, but I can be positive. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's 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 really the extent of it. So, my next when we record next time, I might have a really full mustache and nothing else. But um, it, we I was talking to the parents. The parents were just like exhausted, and I, I completely resonate with this feeling. Like every decision they make 
has a life or death uh, quality to it, right? Mm-hmm. With, with Because of the pandemic, it's like when your children are unvaccinated, it's like, you know, should I go to see my family? If I do, I could expose my whole family to this. If I don't, we, we stay isolated. It's like there's no win, right? There's no right decisions to make right now. There's only like the better of the decisions and every decision it feels like carries the weight or the responsibility of life or death or Mm. and that just that just you know you can do that for a season but to do it approaching two years now that that's some real decision exhaustion and and how do you make that decision because you know how do you value physical safety perceived physical safety and perceived mental health and well-being safety so fix it for us Lindsay. (laughs) <laughs> I love that I'm always brought in that it's like and solve it because um, you're a licensed clinical social worker. We are not. You're right, and um, all of my training taught me how to solve every problem in the world. You are correct. Um, when it comes to decision making, I think what, one of the things that you're saying that wears us out so much is that uh, in I was about to say regular life. In pre-pandemic life, for most people, I recognize everybody's in unique situations. For a majority of people, you had really complicated decisions um, and complex decisions that there were more influencing factors uh, and were more serious. But you also had a lot of kind of uh, throwaway decisions. decisions that you could make quickly, you could categorize in your brain, Um, you could kind of use previous experiences, your brain could bounce it off of, well, in the last time that I did this, I did X, Y, and Z, so I'll just do that again. Um, So that took very little energy. Mm -hmm. However, now we don't have as many of those throwaway decisions um, and kind of quick decision-making. All of them are more complex, which uses more energy, which then means we're more worn out. Um, The other thing that uh, the three of us were talking about right before uh, we started recording was how many decisions we've made that have, we have then had to undo, um, that we've had to cancel something. Uh, Evan asked me something about my October and I said, well, I scheduled this, then I unscheduled it. Then I think I sort of rescheduled it, but now we might be unscheduling it again. Um, and to me, honestly, that is exhausting to me Mm. to have to go back to similar information, um, and not necessarily have new information. So The way decision-making works is that we name the decision, kind of figure out what we're going to have to decide about. We gather all sorts of information. We look at what we value of what's important in making that decision. We kind of look at our, all that information and decide what's the most important or what's not as important And then we choose and we make some sort of decision. Um, And then sometimes in our lives, we get new information 
later on. And so we don't go back to undo the previous decision. We just, when we get a new piece of information, we decide, does that impact what I've decided? And do I need to make a a new decision at this point? Um, Or does that not impact anything and we don't have to make another decision? Um, But the new information, it's not even that we're getting lots of new information. We're just having to make the same decisions over and over (laughs) and over again with, in essence, the same information, but our values kind of keep changing at times. Um, And so then we have to go back to that original decision. I think that's what's wearing me out is that it's not making new forward moving decisions. Mm-hmm. It feels like I'm having to go back to old decisions. I think that if I start trying to think of it as like getting a new piece of information and making a, uh, this is a totally different decision than before, mm-hmm. then it would feel different. Yeah, it does seem like those, there's the big decision, right? Uh, and then there's the micro decisions that help us stay on track to stay in line with the big decision that we made. And uh, maybe we could refer to those as adaptation, right? You know, you have to be flexible and adapt a plan. So if you make a plan and then there's a, I mean, let's use a travel as an example, right? You have a route that you want to take. And if there's a road closure, you are forced to adapt, right? And you can either sit and wait out the traffic or Google Maps pops up that little gray line next to the blue line. And then you're like, oh, this route might be five minutes faster. And then you have to think, is it really five minutes faster or is Google tricking me? Because sometimes you just follow that little gray line every five minutes faster and the information doesn't really match up. And then you find yourself mm-hmm. on a back road for four hours, just putzing around when you really probably should have just stayed on the interstate, right? Like that happens a lot. Or sometimes Google Maps will give you these really weird directions where you're driving and then it'll give up the little gray line, but it's just like a circle through a neighborhood. And it says like 23 minutes slower. And you, when you get close to it, you're like, wait, you just want me to drive a circle through this neighborhood, then get back on the same road. Has that ever happened to you guys? When you look at like the directions, I'm like, what is, like, how is this even yes. an option? Why did you even present this information to me? Mm-hmm. I wonder if one of the things that makes us tired is this belief that there's a correct or right decision. And so the decision-making process feels really exhausting because we're seeking out this perfect right choice that I don't know if it really exists. I think that's a really to sort of just decouple this a little bit from from the pandemic, because I think that I mean, that kind of encompasses so much of our decision making processes right. these days. But I think the wider conversation about decision making, um, in particularly within the Christian context, is that um, it's about making the right decision, mm. and mm-hmm. people can sometimes get completely frozen uh, in that decision making pro- or overwhelmed uh, in the decision making process because we come, we often come to 
those kinds of moments believing there was one true right decision mm-hmm. and I have to find it. It's like a it's like a journey. Um an epic journey that I got to find the right decision. And maybe it, and in my experience personally is that there are many good decisions and mm-hmm. you have to choose the best decision for yourself or for your family or for the scenario that you're in. And um, yeah, I think of uh, most prominently in that route, uh, working with college students, as you can imagine uh, the, the discernment around the, the decision-making around spouses about dating and in, in relationships and in, proposing and there's this sort of running belief system that there's one true person out there for me and I just have to find them mm. and and that becomes it's it's a, it's both a it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy you know the that you get mm-hmm. in these relationships and for whatever reason this person's not exactly doesn't line up to the perfect thing that you thought you were supposed to marry therefore they must not be the one and so you you just you're constantly cycling through relationships because you you're searching for this sort of god ordained enlightened moment that mm. that says oh this is this is the right decision i think that goes with jobs i think that goes with lots of big life just dis- having children not having children all those kinds of big decision making processes okay i'm going to push i'm going to push pause cuz we got two things that we we need to unpack here okay we we need to unpack decision making fatigue and then we need to unpack christian decision making which one do you guys want to start Let's let's keep it with Christian decision making. Is it okay. possible to even? I mean, because I think so much of the fatigue. I mean, yeah, like, I don't know if they're think, fully yeah, separate, but yeah. I mean, I think particularly, I'll just you know, I can only speak about the culture that I live in and I experience, and I think so much of, and maybe 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 it's fair enough to say that so much of the decision fatigue is about maybe about two things, and that's that's capitalism, and. And faith tradition. Capitalism is that we're we're continually to make the best decisions to make the most money, and very similar to that in American Christianity is to make the most decisions to be as close and as as righteous or close to God as possible. Mm. You know, and those two things run really kind of parallel. Although I think often they run um, uh, opposed to each other. Uh, but but those those are the places where I think people when they go into their decision making, that's where they're really leaning is. Am I, is this the right decision to make the most money or to get the right position or get the most influence? Is mm-hmm. this the right decision to make sure that that I'm as close to God as I possibly can be? Mm-hmm. And I think in either of those scenarios, it's the pressure to be right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay, so it, let's just say that Christian decision-making fatigues us, <laughs> and then we will we'll, we'll mm-hmm. it from there. Lindsay? So something that happens a lot at, that I've seen is a type of anxiety, not like clinical type of anxiety, but a way that anxiety can manifest in a lot of us is black and white thinking. So believing that there are only two dichotomous options and one is right and one is wrong. And that is something that, um, I think really impacts the church as well is that this belief that there is right and then there's wrong. Um, and you definitely don't want to choose wrong. Instead of an understanding of what if they are all good options and there's not this perfect yes or absolute no, but everything is good. 
okay, so then let's reconcile that. Or at least not bad. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of that comes from the Proverbs 3, 6, right? In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight, right? That is the go-to reference verse for Christians a lot of the time when it comes to like, what should I do? How should I do it? Is that this idea that if we just acknowledge God, then he's going to make our paths straight. And we take that term, I think, a lot of the time, and I, I've definitely applied it this way, to mean simple, <laughs> right? I also think that we believe straight means narrow. And what if straight is real wide? Um, and like, if you had an eight lane freeway and there were no lines in any of the lanes and we're all going one direction. And so it's semi-straight because you could be anywhere in those eight lanes and still be headed in the right direction. What if we kind of thought about Christian decision-making and our lives somewhat like that? That it's not that there's an absolute right and wrong in every single decision, uh, but that the path is a bit broader than that. Am I... And maybe it's less about the choice and more about, am I actively engaging with God and pursuing God? If I am, that will be a value that will influence my decision-making, which will uh, create a healthy decision, hopefully healthy decision. Well, and and the, the part of that verse that predicates the making the path straight is that you're supposed to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And so I, I think that for me, and in a lot of the conversations that I've had around decision-making and the, the Christian faith, we think that if the decision isn't clear, that means that we've failed kind of the check. We haven't trusted God with all of our heart and we're leaning on our own understanding, therefore, this is not a binary decision anymore, right? It, because it seems complicated, that doesn't mean that life is complicated. It means that we have failed, because if God is perfect, and he tells us to trust in him with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding, therefore, decisions should be simpler. So we go back and say, well, maybe I just need to trust God more and lean less on my own understanding, and then that's going to make my decision simple. And I don't think that's what the scripture says, and I don't think that's even what it means, but it's such an easy off-ramp for us to be able to just toss somebody a zinger when they're having a hard time with the decision and then be like, all right, see you later. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe what that perhaps could be pointing us towards is this idea of a communal faith and a communal decision process, what we might call discernment in the Christian context. Um, but this this idea that in in, in the in sort of the educational psychological literature, there's this framework, sort of theoretical framework called sense making, that mm -hmm. that is that that we all um, are at our best, we're sense makers as humans. We see, we take in lots of information from lots of different sources and we try to link it back to previous experiences. That's how we, it sort of goes back to our fight or flight, you know, as a reptilian mm -hmm. kind of thinking. Um, this person, this their body shape, their color, the skin, their hair, whatever these outward expressions are, I've had either good or bad experiences and you're quickly trying to decide whether they're 
friend or foe and whether you're going to stay and fight or you're going to you're going to run away or you're going to you know greet them and i think that that theory runs true and across the board for everything we encounter i mean if it when we when you're going up to a traffic intersection and it's really complicated and you're trying to figure out traffic and when to go your your brain is immediately going back to previous traffic intersections that were complicated and you're you're making judgments in the real moment based on previous experiences so there's this idea of sense making that we're always drawing other experiences to help us discern what we need to do in this moment. There's another framework that I think is really helpful in this too, in the educational psychological world called funds of knowledge. And this idea is that that all of us uh, possess like this fund of knowledge, this, this, this past experiences, understanding the way you see the world, the way you interact with the world, all of us have those different funds from which we can draw. It's we when we live in a community together and we're trying to make a decision as a community, I have a very specific set of experiences in the way I see the world and understand it, uh, the way I make sense of it is very specific to me. But when I when I add Evan's experience and Lindsay's experience, which also are very specific to them and different than mine, there's some there are things that resonate and are similar, but there's also things that are very different. When we come together and we try to make a decision together, or I seek your guidance to make a personal decision, then I'm I'm dipping into your funds of knowledge, which is widening my ability to make sense of something that's complex or new or unknown. And then we can all either make a corporate decision that's better, or I can make a decision that's more informed as a person. Mm-hmm. And so that that is where when we talk about this idea, don't lean on your own understanding, I think it's not just leaning on some ethereal God presence understanding, but it's 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 live into God's presence on earth through each other, through each of our funds of knowledge, through each of our ability to make sense of complex scenarios. And together, decision-making process will make will seem more straight, will seem more clear, will seem more sensible and approachable. Uh, if that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Part of what I find challenging sometimes is when we, uh, a number of people all have the same pieces of information or same evidence as one another and make different decisions. Mm -hmm. It can be, it can make a lot of us start wondering, did I make the wrong one? Because I see a number of people make that one and I made this one. Um, as though once again, that there's only two options in decision-making and what I've come to find in working with different clients over the years is it, uh, it depends on what we value that influences how we make decisions. And what I mean by that is that, uh, there are a number of values um, that you can Google out there, uh, value sort Harvard, and Harvard has a tool that helps you think through um, your, Michael, are you Googling this very second? I am, Um, we both are. Okay, glad y'all are Googling away. Hoping it's going to sort my values for me. Oh my goodness, it requires a little bit of work for you, so... uh, Either... I'm going to go back to this. Then. <laughs> and so what it is, is that it has 30 different values, kind of high values, uh, com- most common values for people. Um, do you value 
recognition from your field? Do you value creating balance in your life? Do you value courage or risk-taking? Do you value spirituality, hard work and commitment? Um, Do you value personal growth and learning? Do you value wealth or material well-being or vision? Um, And what a lot of these activities do is that they give you a list of all of these different values. You name your top 10 or so, and then you can even go from there and look at that list of the top two or three things. And those are the ways that you, those are the lenses that you first look at every decision through, which really helps us understand why people with the same evidence may make different decisions because what they value in that situation might be different. And what I love about the way to break that down, and even in the instructions here uh, for this handy dandy PDF that I've now downloaded uh, from this, is that it makes you do it for work and then it makes you do it for relative importance as you as a person and it views those as two discrete processes. So what you need to do to be successful at work probably has different values than what you feel like is the true to kind of who you are. And that's such an interesting dichotomy there. And I find that I live into that space in the period of time after I start switching from work mode to personal mode. I don't know if you guys experience that at all, where at the end of the day of doing what you need to be to do successful for work, there's this coping time for me where I have to start slowly unwinding from those behaviors that it takes to be successful in my career compared to what I independently choose to do as an individual. And when I have a hard time making that transition on those days or those weeks, um, I don't feel like myself, but maybe that's because I'm still in my work behavior mode and that work has to pay me to be that person <laughs> in order to be successful. But that's such an interesting thing. It, 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 it makes it feel like you can't, I mean, for me, it makes you feel uh, that I can't necessarily be who I would independently choose to be. And, but that's not necessarily what we're called to be either. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I, well, I think at points that I, I mean, that the, all right. I, I think that, the thing we have to approach the value conversation with is that I think what you're pointing out is that our, our values are not concrete, right? They're, they, they're, there are lots of things that influence our values given, like, right, if I'm approaching this decision-making process, these values might, you know, there are some inherent sort of core values, I would might say, that we really interact with the world through, but they might reshuffle themselves a little bit based on what you're addressing. For, for your example, when I'm in, in work mode, my values, uh, are, you know, working and, and emailing and staying connected and following through are different than being a father, which is really about being present, about playing, about listening, about, you know, those sorts of so So things kind of rearrange themselves based on the context. And I think the same is true when you're approaching a, a big decision. I think what's important is to stop and think about what values are influencing this decision-making process. Because it's, it's in thinking about where you're, what you're valuing when you're approaching this, uh, that I think is really helpful in the in the discernment process. Because, for example, we, I know 
Emily loves to do, again, Emily's my spouse. She loves when she makes a decision to do a, a big pros cons list. Mm-hmm. Pros cons lists are really helpful tools. They help you to try to, you know, make things a little bit clearer to you and put it on paper and think through those things. But also it's, you know, what is a pro in where you are right now may actually be a con when you approach it from a different angle. And so understanding like, how am I looking at this? What lens am I, what values am I approaching this decision-making through is maybe a a really good way of thinking, approaching a decision. Well, in some ways, what values do for us is give us some sort of point scale for that pros and cons list. It's not that there's six things on the pro list and four things on the con list. It's that the six things on the pro list have, uh, maybe they have less weight than the, than the things on the con list. Um, that's right. One, one con could be a horrific con. (laughs) Right. And so all you need, I think kind of thinking through values as being, a kind of a weighted scale, uh, helps us make decisions, um, or at least tells us why, kind of why we make the decision that we make. Um, for example, one of the values that's important to some pe- people is wealth, material well-being. That's not saying that being the richest person out there is really important to you. But let's say that financial security um, is something that is really important to you. Um, and And again, there's not absolutes. By saying it's really important to you doesn't mean that it's unimportant to everybody else. But perhaps you grew up in a family that didn't have a lot of uh, financial security. And so now that is something that is a really important factor for you in all of your decision making, that you don't want to take a risk and you want to make sure that you are feeling secure. That value uh, is going to influence how you think about all of your choices along the way. Yeah, and I think I wanted to go back to something you said earlier, because what I what I experience right now, and this this is maybe what I I find myself doing, is that I find a lot of comfort being around people who have similar values to me, and when I'm making a decision, I will go to someone most likely who sees the same decision outcome as I do, so that I'm looking for someone to say, yeah, yeah, that's the right decision. Well, that's the best decision. When in actuality, it's really important, I I think, though it's not, it's hard to practice, is to find those people who see, who approach the same decision-making process, but do it differently or come up with a different outcome than yourself. Because it's in that dissonance, it's in that friction that helps us make better sense of the of the real problem that we're addressing. And I think that's one of the things that's lost in our current societal makeup is that we we have regressed into our own little pockets of echo chambers where people we all agree with each other. And any if there's any hint of disagreement, we, we have to just abruptly, you know, either 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 we run or we fight or we flight, right? I mean, that's ultimately mm-hmm. we're we're very reptilian right now in our thinking. We're like, we're gonna duke it out on Facebook about who's who's wrong about whatever issue there is, or we're just going to regress into our little 
enclave of people who look and think and act just like us. And I think that keeps us as a country, as a community, as individuals from making less informed decisions, less healthy decisions for all of us, because we're not dealing with that friction that exists in the world, and we're not seeing the other person's point of view or trying to understand and make sense of it. I agree with that, that we need to learn from people and dialogue with people that are making different choices or thinking differently from us. I caution some people, if you are in a place where you have really high anxiety and you are asking lots of other people about their decisions and all their decision-making, it's important to note that you might be doing that less about uh, trying to learn and grow. You might call it that. But what you're really doing is kind of testing, did I make the right or wrong choice? Hmm. And I, I again, push back and say it's not as absolute as that. And so asking around to other people's decisions isn't about, uh, well, everybody, you know, a majority of my friends made this choice. And then these couple friends made this choice. So if a majority did that, that's probably the right one. And why would I have ever thought this choice over here? Um, That I work with a lot of individuals wrestling with anxiety, and that's one of the ways that it gets manifested. Um, And so I always want to, I want to put that caveat out there that it is good for most people that are in healthy spaces. Mm. And if that is challenging for you, kind of navigating is that challenging because it's a muscle you haven't used or is it challenging because you're in a season that you're experiencing a lot of anxiety um and it might not be uh the healthiest thing for you to do right now hmm. i had a i had a mentoring relationship in college and um if you've never had somebody to mentor you who you give the ability to speak into your life just freely. Um, it's, it's different than a friendship, right? Like, a, you know, there's somebody who, um, you know, you may be friends with, or there's some things that look similar to friendship, but to just have somebody who looks at your life from that external perspective and isn't going to parse words to maintain harmony in the relationship, but might have some freedom to challenge you. And um, some of us have family and friends that we, we give that permission to, and they feel like they can challenge our thinking and things like that. But uh, it's super helpful to have folks that are different than us who do speak into our life in that way. And I had um, a mentoring relationship with someone who thinks extremely differently from myself. Uh, like every time I would explain how my week was going, you know, some of the the challenges that were before me. We spent um, so much of our time me just explaining the way that my brain works because I would say, da 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 da, da. you know what I mean? And they would say, I don't. Can you explain that more? Um, and it was really great for me, and I grew a lot from it because it made me have to really evaluate and understand how I came to that conclusion, and it kind of helped separate some of those functions in the way that I thought into kind of discrete parts so that I could interact with them. But it kind of culminated at this point where um, I'd been dating uh, who is now Holly was now my spouse for, uh, you know, about a year. And I was really feeling like it was it was time for us to uh, make that step where I was going to ask 
her to marry me. I was going to propose. Uh, I kind of had a plan together, and I had a methodology, and I sought counsel from my family and friends and all these folks, and I just felt so great about this decision. I felt like it was a really good fit. I felt like I was in a great place uh, emotionally and, and spiritually to be able to, to make that decision, uh, and it felt like it was the right thing. And so I was talking to this mentor about it, and I told him, and I explained, you know, and I had all these things and notes and everything about why I thought this was a great decision, and I'd really done my research and really done some soul searching, and I, I, I said it, and I said, yeah, so that's, so I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask her to marry me, and I have so much respect uh, for, for him for this. He goes, hmm. He kind of sits there on the couch. I'll never forget where we were in the specific office. He's sitting on the couch. He looks at me, kind of turns his head to the side, and he goes, "Man, I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I'm feeling it. I don't know if that's. I don't know if that's the right decision." And I was a little taken aback, and. It, it was such an outlier of a data point for someone who never understood the way that I thought anyways. And I had like eight months of evidence that they didn't understand me or my thought process. But I think I have so much respect for him feeling like he's able to say that to me, you know, and that relationship. But I pretty much kind of like considered it for a little bit and then was just like, no, this, you don't, you don't, this is not it. You don't understand decision making. But the reason that I bring that up is because you do have those moments where there are some people who just are not going to get it and are never going to be on board with the conclusions that you reach. Um, but that doesn't mean that everybody has to be in harmony and agreement for us to be able to move forward, even on big decisions of our life, because everybody is radically different. Uh, and so I would say that uh, for me, one thing that I've really learned is that good decisions aren't always made in harmony, that, that bringing everyone into your life that you trust and has an opinion is not about aligning everyone harmoniously. Very smart, intelligent, healthy, capable people will very frequently come to different decisions based on similar information. Uh, and that has been a lesson that has been really tricky for me to learn because for a long time, I just chased everyone's approval. I had to, I had to present the evidence to where everyone was on board that this was the correct decision. Uh, and I, I think that moving away from that a little bit for me was healthy. Now, on, uh, other people are on the other side of that. But um, I, that story always cracks me up that somebody would look at me and say, no. Like, I mean, three days before I was going to propose, I had the ring. Like, what? <laughs> like, just support me it's, and go on with I, it. Like, I, I have learned after doing years and years of premarital counseling, it's, that's a, it's really hard to turn, turn a ship at that point. But uh, I think you have offer a really good counterpoint to or accompaniment to my comment, and that is that I think you're absolutely right. The, the best decisions that we make don't necessarily mean everyone agrees. In fact, uh, there are many times as leaders that we're called to make decisions that we know people aren't, not everyone's going to appreciate. In fact, you know that half are going to appreciate it and half aren't, and and then the next time you're going to make a decision that hurts someone else. And it's, it's part of the reality of, of being in relationship with people and working together. But, but I've also learned uh, as a leader of an organization that, that I 
often, often come up with ideas or solutions that are either completely, they're, they're incomplete or they're wrong. And they're not the best decisions. And that, that the best decisions uh, that I have made as a leader have come out of really vulnerable conversations with people who see things differently than me. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to take their answer and say, okay, that's what I'm going to do. But it really helps me. That's, that's dipping into someone's fund of knowledge, someone's experience, someone's way of making sense of the problem. And together we can make a better decision. Does that mean I'm going to make them happy? Does that mean that I'm going to be happy necessarily? Does that mean that, Lindsay, that we're all together on this? Not necessarily. But, but I think we're better off hearing and understanding people and perspective than just assuming we know the best answer. Hmm. Well, I, I, I love that too, because just because everybody's not harmonious at the end of it doesn't mean that we made a wrong decision either. You know, I mean, that's such an interesting right. tension. Lindsay, as we kind of wrap up this segment of decision making, what would you add? Um, the other thing I would say is that when we're looking for all of this evidence or information gathering, um, we act as though we're going to get to an end point. Uh, like at some point I will have an, all of the information and it's so different to say, at what point do I feel like I have enough information and can just move forward? in my decision that we don't have to go to the ends of the earth to, or talk to every person that's ever made a choice like this <laughs> um, or poll every one of our friends about it. Um, that we can talk to a few people whose values align with ours and then make a decision and then move forward. That I think sometimes we uh, paralyze ourselves by uh, thinking that there's absolute decisions, that there's a, there's a right and a wrong choice. And that at some point we will have all the information, uh, to make this so-called final perfect choice. That's right. Lindsay, this, you just, it's not possible. You, mm -hmm. you just added something that I'm going to start roping into all of my group decision-making stuff, which is at the outset saying, when do we have enough information to make this decision? Like mm -hmm. adding that as a measurable for how we do things and everybody agreeing up front, like at what point we've done enough research and had enough dialogue. I need to think through that, but I love that. You're blowing my mind right now. Um, okay, so as, as we kind of close this segment of decision-making, um, we have a lot to think about. For Just for a teaser for everybody who's listening, here are some things that we didn't cover. How to make decisions. <laughs> like how to actually do it. Uh, what I walked through a few steps no, at the great. beginning. Yeah, yeah. No, you did great. And did. I, I approached it theoretically that it's about, about uh, being in a relationship oh my with gosh, people, I've about sharing. My, I've offended my co-host. It was a joke. It was a joke. I didn't oh give you a gosh. checklist is your problem. I don't have a problem. <laughs> uh, some other things that, uh, that, that we want to talk about is uh, what do we do when we feel like we made the wrong decision, right? We'll, we'll get to talk a little bit about that. And then we touched on uh, how to make group decisions and what that looks like to make individual decisions versus decisions with groups of people, uh, family, friends, coworkers, those kinds of things. Um, and, uh, and we'll unpack that and, and chat about some more decision-making next episode. Lindsay, Michael, thanks for the time and, and all the thoughts. This was a blast. It's so great to be back. 
It does feel good to be back uh, wrestling with all this stuff together. I always learn so much from y'all and um, spend the rest of my day just wrestling and thinking and growing from it. So thanks, y'all. Likewise. It's been a great time, guys. I look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next episode. Thanks to Justin Patton, who produced this episode and does all the music. We love you, Justin. Smooches. (laughs) 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 Oh, got to do a few things to get the uh, reaction that you want to think of. All right, everybody. Thanks. We'll see you next episode.